Good morning, everyone, and welcome to this episode of our podcast, Getting to Better Together, which is sponsored by the Centre for International Development, Social Entrepreneurship and Leadership of the University of the Sunshine Coast. And I'm your host, Richard Borden. Before going any further, I wish to acknowledge the traditional custodians of this land, the Gabi Gabi people, and pay my respects to their elders, past, present and emergent. If the COVID pandemic has shown us anything at all, it's the significance of the roles of government at all three levels, local, state and federal, collaborating together in the interest of the well-being of the citizens. For once, it would seem, people have placed their trust in their elected representatives. And I emphasise for once, because all too often it would seem that our governments fail to respect us as citizens and fail to connect with us in our everyday lives. My guest this morning, Cathy McGowan, is a very rare example of a federal parliamentarian who in 2013 first ran as an independent candidate for the seat of Indy in Victoria, backed by her community, and her platform was explicit in intention to address those very concerns. She not only won that seat that year, but she repeated her success in the following election in 2016. And in her wonderful, inspirational book, Cathy Goes to Canberra, she relates in detail her approach to, as she puts it, doing politics differently. Good morning and welcome, Cathy. Hello, Richard. Lovely to talk to you. Let me start with the question of what the people of Indy decided, that having a community-backed independent candidate would be most appropriate for them for the changes that they were seeking. So it was a journey, I have to say, and it was most likely in 2019 when Helen Haynes was elected that community decision really came to the fore. In the first election in 2013 and then again in 2016, it was still a matter of trial and error and a bit of a risk. But 2019, it was the community saying, we like this, we want more of it, and we're actually going to vote for it. But I think the question is, in the beginning, what sort of got me elected? It was a couple of or three things, actually. The community was feeling disillusioned, disengaged and dissatisfied. So that was very important. Uh, there was an organised group who felt that and we, we offered an alternative. And the third thing we did is we had really good processes and people came to trust me because they trusted the process of how I went around and the team and the community went around engaging with the community. This is sorry. This is a, a rural community, right? Yeah, it's a rural community in northeast Victoria, from basically the peri-urban outskirts of Melbourne up to the Murray River, so and across from the Alps. The it's the western-facing Alps of northeast Victoria. So it's about twenty-eight thousand square kilometres. And traditionally conservative. Oh, always, yeah. Right. And when you say you were known, how how were you known? So I'm, I'm a local to the community in the sense that my family uh, came to this area in 1860. And in that time, my, mostly my mother's family, my mother's side of the family have been community leaders in all sorts of ways. So there's a, there's a deep connection and I've got lots of relatives. And on my father's side, he was uh, a consultant, uh, well known in the area. And I come from a very large family. There are 13 of us and about a good half of us work as professionals in the community, as doctors and lawyers and all sorts of jobs. So between us all, we've got this huge community network that in rural communities, you, it's very hard to duplicate, I think. 
And were you a, a willing candidate? Did you just stand up and say, my time has come, politics calls? I was a willing organiser. I was a reluctant candidate. I was a willing organiser because in the, in the beginning, that dissatisfaction, the, the disillusionment was really apparent, and particularly among our young people. And they had called on some of us adults to do something. They said, look, the mobile phones don't work, the public transport's terrible, no one cares about climate change, or to do something about it. You talk about leadership all the time, so what are you going to do about it? So there was a call for something better. And in the first instance, I was really um, willing to be the leader of, let's see if we can do something. And that eventually emerged into, we spoke to lots of people, like in, uh, footy players and mayors, and said, would you be prepared to stand? And in the end, it sort of became obvious that I was the one, I was the community leader that was doing a lot of the process work. And people said, well, you know, you need to step up. You think this is a good idea. You need to back it up. So eventually I could see that there was logic in that and that, in the initial stages, there was not, not a strong sense that an independent candidate would win the election. But I thought, well, OK, I can run as an independent. We can make the seat marginal, which is what we thought in the beginning would get us the change. And then I can go back to my life. So, in fact, it was quite a, a surprise when we won. And then I had to move into that space of, ah, oh, OK, now how do we do do all these things we've said should be done. How do you do politics with a difference? How do you actually engage young people? How do you consult with your community? How do you build a community capacity for democracy and participation? So we had ideas about that and we tested them during the election campaign. And then over the next six years, we were able to put them into action so that by the time we got to 2019, when Helen Haynes put her hand up, as an independent, in the same way as I'd been an independent, um, the people said yes, and they actually chose it really clearly. There had been uh, independence in, in government, of course, before you, but your position of being so explicitly community-based was unusual in my interpretation. Is that true? That's right, Richard. There's basically been independence in Parliament since, the begin since Federation and consistently since 1990. And most of those independents have been what you might call pure independents. They've had no allegiance to anybody. So people like Ted Mack, Peter Andron from Calair, they went in as individuals with high profile and kept themselves sort of apart. They had no process. They represented their community as best they thought, but no process for uh, representation. Other, Well, they had their own process, but not organised. Whereas I was the first one to be what we call now a community-minded independent who actually had a commitment to consult with and represent the community and to do that in a very deliberative fashion. And then that has been picked up. Obviously, Helen Haynes continues it. Zali Stegel is doing it. And now right across the country, there is there are a large number of communities that say, yeah, we really like that idea because what you're doing is actually offering the community an alternative based on better process and not so much Labor or Liberal and the old traditional um, divide of the parties. There could not be a better example of getting to better together. Are you confident that governments will continue in that trajectory, all that you just described? Is that going to continue, or is there going to be a stage of what we referred to somewhat cynically in, in our opening episode of getting back to normal, where we argue that that wasn't necessarily a good thing? So... I, I can't project too far, and politics is really uh, mercurial. It changes all the time. So it's really hard to forecast. But I do know we organised a convention, Richard, uh, called Getting Elected 
Community-Minded Independence Convention at the end of February this year, and it was by Zoom. It came about in response to my book. Lots of people got in contact with me and said, how do we do this? And rather than, you know, I was answering lots of emails, I thought, well, let's let's have a bit of a, a Zoom meeting and we can do it together. So we organised that. I thought we'd get about 55 people. We got 300. We ran it over a weekend, 11 hours, 11 hours of online um, Zooming. And at no stage was there less than 200 people participating about what was, what is it? How do you do it? What does it mean? And not so much the philosophical argument because people basically get the idea that a person can represent their community, but how do you do it? How do you get elected? What sort of candidate is are you looking for? So that was a real surprise to me that there was no surprise and, and hope that there's so much interest. And now across the country, we call them Voices for groups. There's there's at least 25, there could be 30, all different, all making it up themselves about how they might go about holding. And they're doing a couple of things. They're holding their current MPs to account, saying, okay, well, how do you represent your community if you're pre-selected by your party? And we want you to be better at representing the community. So they've got a process. And then some of them, and many of them, are actually running uh, independence, as we did in, in my electorate, of giving people a choice. So there is certainly a movement happening, um, and it's aided and abetted, I think, by the poor governance people are experiencing out of Canberra, but also the lack of spark by the opposition. So, you know, people of people of goodwill are going, oh gosh, we could surely we could be better than this. You know, we're going to be. We need to talk about Aboriginal. We need to talk about reconciliation. We need to talk about the Republic. We need to talk about climate change. We need to talk about what sort of nation we are going to be. And the lack of that sort of debate, I think people, you know, not everybody, but the people who like this idea of um, doing politics differently, and they're organising, I just saw in Sydney, there's a group in North Sydney, and they're organising um, kitchen table conversations in the pubs. And they're, you know, getting a huge response to people in North Sydney get, um, getting together and talking about, well, what do we, what do we really want for our community? In the book, you talk a lot about the the kitchen table, both as a as a metaphor and a reality. Can you explain uh, what what you mean by that a little bit? So, when we were thinking about initially the dis- dissatisfaction and disillusionment, and we were talking about offering an alternative to the community, and it needed to be based on good process. Otherwise, we had nothing to distinguish ourselves from the incumbent. So we had lots of discussions about how do you have ex- have give people an experience because they were disillusioned and dissatisfied. How can we give them an experience of what it could mean to be engaged and participate? And the way we had experienced a similar um, process via the Victorian Women's Trust had done some work with Kitchen Table Conversations. So we adapted that idea from the Victorian Women's Trust. The leader at that time, Mary, Mary Sulce, came and visited and spoke to us about process um, and it was very helpful in helping us um, design the process. So the idea was people in their own safe space to talk about politics without being judged. And we know that happens around the kitchen table. So it was a formal process where they had a question a questionnaire. Here's, here's the topics to talk about. Three main questions. Uh, what do you love about your community? What do you want from a representative? And what are the issues? And then hosted by somebody to have that conversation, to take the notes and to send the information in. So there was a real process to it. But what actually evolved was wonderful conversations about 
that question about what do you want from your community actually opened up that whole discussion about what do we want, what's the vision, how can it be better? And then the question about representation opened up the discussion about well, at all levels, what do we really want from our representatives? And one of the standouts for me was people actually didn't want, what they wanted was a representative who would turn up, come early, stay late and engage. And we didn't have that at the time. So, but they also wanted the, the Member of Parliament to do something about some of the issues and not all the issues, obviously, but some of them. And I have to say that one of the really interesting things about this community engagement is there were certain things I could do something about as a Member of Parliament, but there were too many issues. And so out of the kitchen table conversations and out of the community meetings, people would say, well, Cathy, what are you going to do about climate change? And at that stage, Abbott was in government and he wasn't going to do anything about climate change. So we said, well, what can we do? What's the change we would like to see? And out of that grew what we ended up calling reference groups on a whole lot of topics, but they were community participation action groups where the community itself worked out what they wanted to do and then proceeded to come up with their own solutions and then use me as their representative as the facilitator of getting the answers that they wanted. So that was an interesting process because it empowered people well and truly beyond, beyond the, the election to do things and still very strong groups operating in Indi now around uh, totally renewable Yakandanda or Indigo Power, which is a community-based social entrepreneur um, business of buying and selling renewable energy that's based on a community development model. There's also really good work happening uh, with refugees, activism, uh, with te with telecommunication. So the community, through the process of understanding their own experience and then understanding the system better, and being entrusted to come up with their own solutions with you know access to expertise and guidance would then come to Canberra as my guests and you know walk the doors of parliament and they got a very positive reception from the government because the government would basically imply oh we're not going to do anything for Kathy you know we don't want her to get re-elected you know she's the opposition but we will do something for the community so if the community came to Canberra the government was really keen to talk to the mayors and the you know the community leaders and you know we'll do this for you we'll do this for you in the hope that that would swing the vote but in fact it didn't because the community liked the process of being empowered to act on their own issues. How did you uh, sustain this? There you are sitting on the crossbenches you've got um, people at you from all sides literally and you're there literally explicitly in terms of gaining the respect of, of your electorate and connecting them to the, the processes of government. So how do you sustain all that? There's a few things about it. On a personal level, I'd run my own business. So I knew about time time budgeting and money budgeting and managing staff. So I was quite skilled about there's always the job's always too big. So you've actually got to cut it down to size and having strategic plans. So on that level, that was very useful. I didn't get drowned in the job. This, another aspect was I was really clear that I wasn't in Canberra to play party politics. My job was to actually always be the member for Indi. So I had really clear guidelines about what was my business and what wasn't my business. And I call it sticking to my knitting. So if things, say for example, someone wanted to lobby me about something and I'd, 
oh yeah, I'm happy to hear, but but you need to come with a member from my electorate. I'm not going to talk to you if you haven't, or if like a lobby group. So like say ACOS, ACOS would come or the unions would come to visit me. And I say, well, I'm not going to just meet you. I'll only come if you've got representation from the ele- my electorate. So they would go and get someone from the Trades and Labor Council, the Board of Trades and Labor Council or whatever the relevant group was. And then they'd sit down with me and my community and we'd talk with lobbyists. So that, that got rid of a lot of people and cut the workload down as well. Because then I'd be saying to the representations, well, you know, here's what I can do, but you need to do this, this and this. But on the big picture politics, I was always really clear that my job was to come back to the community and make sure that they had a sense of satisfaction. So because I understood that really clearly, even though it made the decision making was always complex, and because every single vote in parliament as an independent is a conscience vote. And for a while, they were holding the balance of power. So the, te- the tension was just enormous. If we had good processes and good decision-making framework and staff that actually understood all this and the community that understood it, even though the community, you know, people, individuals would often disagree with me, they go, yeah, yeah, I can see you've tried. Okay, I don't agree with you, but okay, you know, I like what you do. And, and I said, well, okay, well, I'll come and speak to your, you know, Rotary Club or church group, invite me to come along and then we can have a discussion in the community about why I voted like I did and what you wanted me to do. And so people felt, the community felt really good about that. And the fact that Canberra wasn't always easy actually faded into to insignificance because they weren't my boss. My boss was always the community. There's a lovely uh, statement in uh, in your book that you made that says, I believe that only by standing up and arguing for something better will we improve our democracy and make politics more relevant. How do you go about deciding what's better in a community, given that a community is clearly not homogeneous? It's a whole mixture of all sorts of people who, for whom better will differ. That's why I love democracy, because <laughs> having an election every three years gives the community a chance to do that. And what, what I was actually doing was saying, well, I'm putting myself up and I'm giving you a choice and then you can choose what you want. So I don't think we see nearly enough of that in Australia. So the community in the end will decide what they want through democracy. But there's, there's, I don't think there's enough alternatives out there of how an individual like me and then my group, which was the Voices for group, said, well, here's what we think would work and we're going to give you this as an option and you can choose. So that was one way. I find that's an extraordinarily important point. I remember at school being taught that the whole point of an opposition was not to oppose, but to actually come up with alternatives. So you didn't actually say, well, I think your idea is a lousy idea, full stop. It was, I think your idea might be a lousy idea and here's a better one. And the competition that's built into the system, I I really changed my mind as this as a politician. Initially, I was perhaps more, I didn't have a lot of trust in the competitive nature of politics, but by the time I finished, I did, because an election campaign when it's when you've when it's not a safe seat, when you've actually got a marginal seat and it's competitive, really brings that to the fore. So individuals and you know, in two thousand and thirteen there were twelve people who ran in Indi. There were really so people had people did have the choice and and the competition actually made me better because always I had breathing down my neck the Liberals and the Lib- and the National Party and they really wanted to win the seat back and they they tried every which way they could to convince people that they were better and so I really had to step up and make sure that I was the best I could be and really really worked hard to say to people yep well this is this is what I'm saying I'm going to be doing and and we had a saying in the electorate about being your best self and I think that's probably the best answer to your question. If 
we would constantly say to each other, are we being our best selves? And that wasn't an objective judgment. That was a really subjective judgment about how we were behaving. And we had some values and behaviours that were anyone who wanted to volunteer in the program signed up for about respect, about optimism, about activism. And so being your best self means in terms of these values, are you actually behaving in a way that speaks to that? And that again, those values and behaviours were a fundamental principle of us keeping to the straight and narrow, us keeping to our knitting, and then the community could then judge us against anybody else. So that's the competition was really important. One of the things I've always regretted uh, as, a, as an educator was the difficulty of encouraging people to reflect in exactly the manner that you say, that people actually don't sit down and think about what should I do under these particular circumstances, rather they focus on what could I do. Have you found that difficult in terms of shifting people from from fact into value, as it were? Well, we didn't try and do it, Richard, I have to say, not deliberately. What we tried to do was be it. So we really, and me and my team, we really focused on being the change we wanted to see, bring it into existence, and then people would have an experience of it, and then they'd make their own judgment. So we really, really resisted the temptation of telling people stuff. (laughs) We really wanted to create the experience and the opportunity and and the chance for reflecting, as you say, and then doing things and seeing how that worked. And of course, it would always work in one way or shape or form. And people go, oh, my God, like I've, I've never had success before. I've never had anyone really listen and let me do what I thought I needed to do. And it worked. And. And there was always guidance coming from our office and we'd network people with experts and we'd we'd help community do their job, but they were always the instigator of it. And, you know, I learned that at Hawkesbury, Richard. I learned it in agricultural extension. People are the masters of their own destiny and they will do things what's in their own best interest and helping them do it, that's the art. That's a fantastic place to to leave the discussion and I'm most reluctant to leave it, Cathy. It's been absolutely fascinating. I want to come back to you at some stage, if I may, in the future, because I want to talk about what it was actually like for you in Parliament in terms of really inventing your own processes, but that will have to wait for another day. Cathy McGowan, it's been a delight. Thank you so much. Thank you, Richard. And thank you all for listening.